Thanks to Brecian and the Praise Team for that special time of worship. I hope it was meaningful to you in your home, wherever you are right now. I hope that you were able to worship God with us in spirit. Hey, let me tell you about last week. Last week, we did not know what to expect when we planned this online worship service. I prayed in my room early Sunday morning that God would do something beyond what I could ask and imagine last week. And I'll tell you what, we were stunned to see the way that so many engaged with our online time of worship. That started with you all who logged in, who were commenting on the feed, who shared it with others on your news feed. And because of that, because of what you did by sharing it, you know how many people watched it? Over 9,250 people viewed our online worship service. We are praising God for that. And so there's two ways you can help us right now to make that happen again, to help this message reach more and more people. The first is that you can share this online worship service on your personal social media pages, or you can comment on our live feed. Secondly, you can give. And I know many of you are strapped right now. And so if you're able... I'm asking you to consider giving to help us spread the word. So you can do that online at highlandcc.org by texting 901-352-3200 or by mailing a check to us here at the church building. So here's the deal. We're in a series right now on the last week of Jesus's life. Okay. Going from Sunday, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem until Sunday, his resurrection. Last week, we picked up with Wednesday and we bled over into Thursday. And you may notice that we skipped Tuesday. That's because Reed Stafford, our preaching apprentice, started this week a, a midweek content series, a Wednesday night gathering on Facebook. So you can watch that either on our website or on Facebook. And he starts with Tuesday, that last Tuesday of Jesus' life. And then he's going to challenge us over the next couple of weeks to go deeper in our faith or isolated in our homes and set, separated from each other. But today we go back to that last Thursday of Jesus's life. It's late Thursday night and Jesus and his disciples have just finished the Passover meal together. It's dark and Jesus and his disciples walk in the darkness just outside of Jerusalem to the Mount of Olives to a place called Gethsemane. So let's pick up that story in Mark 14. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground, and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said. Everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and he prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They didn't know what to say to him. And returning that third time, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting enough? The hour has come. Look, the son of man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. A few chapters before this scene, 
in Mark 9, we find this father. And the father has a child, a boy, and the boy is sick. He's sick with something that causes him to shake and seize and fall uncontrollably. It's spiritual, but it has a physical effect on his body. It's destroying his son. And his father comes to the disciples of Jesus while Jesus is away, and he begs for them to heal his son, but we're told that they're unable to fix him. Can you imagine his desperation? Can you imagine that feeling? I was watching the comment section on our live stream last week, and do you know who tuned in last week? Jeff and Claire Turner and their daughter, Shelby. If you don't know them, if you're maybe tuning in, you're not familiar with the Highland family, this is a family that we have been in prayer for constantly for months. Shelby, Jeff and Claire's daughter, she's in the fight for her life right now. And we praise God that she is doing better. She's improving. She was moved to Vanderbilt a while ago. And so they have not been with us for months. And I saw Jeff Turner log in and say that this is the first time he's been able to be back together with his church family for months. You know, here we thought we were separated. And Jeff says, this is the first time he's been able to be with us in months. And he posted that and instantly everybody was commenting on his post, which I wondered why they weren't paying attention to my sermon. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? But it was beautiful, right? It was a beautiful thing to witness. We're praying for them constantly because we know that when your kids hurt, you hurt, right? And that's not the only time you hurt. You may have noticed last week on our comment section as well that Randy Spellings logged in and commented and let, it, let us know that he was watching. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Highland family, Randy is one of our dearest members and he is stationed in Kuwait right now. You may have been here at Highland a few weeks ago when we called Randy on his birthday and we sang him after worship service, happy birthday, live from his whole church family here at Highland. And that morning as we were singing him happy birthday, I looked over at his family, his wife and his two children, and they were just beaming with pride, just smiling. But these tears were, were streaming down their face because they miss their dad. It hurts that dad is far away. Ainsley misses her husband. It hurts when dad is, is far away. And of course, you and I are far apart right now. You know, our, our church is, is separated in a sense. We feel that distance during this time of coronavirus. And, and in this moment, what the Highland Church is doing is, is we're trying to take part in fighting this virus. And we're doing that, though, by sacrificing something that's precious to us, our gatherings. And to sacrifice those gatherings, well, it stings, doesn't it? It hurts a bit. You know, the thing about our Lord Jesus is that he shows up when it hurts. Like if you want to find Jesus, go to those who are hurting and Jesus is with them, we're told. I'm reminded of that story when this little girl, Tabitha, seems lost and Jesus shows up. I'm reminded of that scene when this woman is so sick, she crawls on hands and knees to touch the, the hem of Jesus's robe and she touches it and Jesus turns and he welcomes her and receives her. I'm, I think about that man who's lowered down on a mat to Jesus while he's in the middle of something and Jesus, he stops what he's doing to receive this brother. 
Think about the woman who's caught in the act of adultery, we're told. She's caught in sin. She's shamed. She's in danger of being killed. Jesus stops what he's doing to be with her and protect her. Jesus shows up when it hurts. And in Mark 9, we have this dad who's hurting. He's hurting for his boy. He's hurting because his boy hurts. And Jesus shows up. And Jesus begins to ask him a few questions. He goes deeper with this father. And he tells him that everything is possible for him who believes, which shows up again in our passage in Mark 14. He tells him everything is possible for him who believes. And then he heals his son and he sends him home. Jesus shows up when it hurts. But of course, in Mark 14, in the Garden of Gethsemane, it's Jesus that hurts, right? The place Gethsemane um, was on the Mount of Olives. It was not a significant place at this time. It wasn't like a a place where people would go on pilgrimage to come to Gethsemane. It's a pretty insignificant place, actually. But the name really matters. The name is significant. What Gethsemane means literally is oil press, oil press. So think about this. Uh, Gethsemane is just a small place on the Mount of Olives, And when you see artwork about Jesus on this night in the Garden of Gethsemane, there's typically olive trees there because, yeah, he's on the Mount of Olives. And wherever there are olive trees, there needs to be a Gethsemane, an oil press, a place to take those olives and press them into oil. And you're going to see an image of what this looks like, a Gethsemane, an olive press. It's essentially a large stone wheel And this large stone wheel is weighted down by more and more rocks that are laid on top of it until it's heavy enough to crush and grind a bag of olives, a woven bag of olives beneath it. And as that large stone presses down and grinds down upon those olives, the olive oil spills out and runs down the stone beneath And we think of olive oil as as clear or maybe with a hint of yellow or green. But actually, when olive oil is first crushed because of all the rinds, it's this dark brownish red color, almost like like blood. And that symbolism is really powerful because it's in Gethsemane that the weight of the world begins to crush down upon Jesus, that the weight of my sin that the weight of your sin becomes heavy on this man. In fact, in Luke's version of the story, we read this. This is Luke 22, 44. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. The burden is so heavy on Jesus in Gethsemane that it actually forces him to the ground, we read. Look at how Mark describes the scene. He, Jesus, began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. So stay here and keep watch. And he goes on, going a little farther, he fell to the ground and he prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. There's a scene in 1 Samuel in the Old Testament where King Saul has had his kingdom stripped from him. 
God has abandoned Saul because Saul was disobedient. And so Saul in desperation goes and he finds a witch. And the witch is able to conjure up the spirit of Samuel, the prophet of God who has already passed away. This is like the first ghost story we ever have. It'll kind of creep you out if you look at it closely. So Saul conjures up this spirit of Samuel. And Samuel tells Saul this. He says in 1 Samuel 28, The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hands and has given it to one of your neighbors, to David. Because you did not obey the Lord or carry out his fierce wrath against the the Amalekites, the Lord has done this to you today. The Lord will deliver both Israel and you into the hands of the Philistines. And tomorrow your sons will be with me. Tomorrow you and your sons, excuse me, will be with me. He's telling Saul he's about to die. And the weight of that news is so much. Then the very next line we read this. Immediately Saul fell full length to the ground filled with fear because of Samuel's words. His strength was gone. Now here in Gethsemane, Jesus falls full length to the ground. His strength is gone, right? And he knows what's about to come. Like Saul, he knows he's about to die. In fact, he asked God, if it be your will that you would take this cup from me. He's talking about the cup of his death. He knows what's coming, but it's not just like Saul, his coming death that throws him to the ground, but it's the weight of something else. Years before the prophet Isaiah talked about this moment, and this is how he describes what was weighing Jesus down in that moment. He says this in Isaiah 53, we all, he's talking about you and me, like sheep have gone astray, have gone astray from the Lord is what he means. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Think about this for a second. It's here in Gethsemane. Ultimately, it'll be true on the cross as well. But it's here in Gethsemane on this quiet, dark night that the weight of my sin, my iniquity, begins to bear down onto Jesus. And it's so heavy on him that it's like he's crushed, that the the blood begins to spill from his forehead as the sweat comes down. You know, he's in the press of Gethsemane. He's being crushed like olives under the stone in this moment by the weight of my iniquity or my sin. Jesus is being crushed and his disciples are sleeping. I mean, think about this for a second. The fate of the world hangs in the balance a few yards away from them and they can't stay awake. Their eyes are just getting so so heavy. You know, their Lord, their Savior, their teacher, their rabbi, their Savior who they have been following for years at this point, is being undone a few yards away. And they're sleeping through it. You know, here's this tragic truth in this story. Jesus is always present with you and I when we suffer. But when Jesus suffers, 
our eyelids get heavy. You know, like, here's some good news. If you are in a trying time, and the world is in a trying time right now, the world is suffering, the good news is that Jesus is with you when you suffer. But when Jesus suffers, man, we have a hard time being present for that. You know, Jesus shows up when we're scared and when the waters of our lives are like this raging storm. And he says to those waters in our hearts, he says, peace, be still. But when the same thing happens to Jesus, we can't keep our eyes open. Like Jesus says here in Mark 14, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Have you ever heard the term compassion fatigue? Compassion fatigue. Even if you haven't heard it, you might be feeling it right now. You know, we're in the midst of this coronavirus pandemic, and when it started, we're frightened, and we're concerned for those around us who we love, those we don't even know, our neighbors, and we want to love those people well. And so we're keeping our distance. We're doing the best practices to keep other people from getting sick. But I don't know if you're like me, and you've been in a house all week with three little kids who are screaming and crying and going crazy and about to pull their hair out it's a little more than I can handle. You know what I mean, right? And so you begin in those moments of desperation to forget about those who are most vulnerable and most at risk because man, you are just worn out by it and you're running low on toilet paper, you're out of bread, right? You're just ready for this thing to be over. Okay, that's what we mean when we talk about compassion fatigue and I get it, right? I'm feeling it too. But it's in a moment like this that what Jesus is saying to us in this story is, I need you to stay awake. I need you to stay engaged for my sake. You know, the fate of the world hangs in the balance. Don't fall asleep in this moment. I need you to stay awake to this. You know, in Matthew, one of the things we read, one of the things Jesus tells us is that we do for the least of these, what we do for the least of these among us, we actually do for Jesus. That when we're present to others, we're actually present to Jesus. And what we see about Jesus and our Father is is that He hurts when His world hurts. And that He wants us to be with Him by being with those who need our, our compassion and concern. But look again at this text. It, it, our concern and our compassion is not all that Jesus wants from us in a moment like this. What Jesus wants from us is that we be with him like he is with us. You know, that's what we see as he comes back to the disciples and he finds them asleep, right? Jesus knew a hard moment like this one was going to come for him eventually. And so at the beginning of Mark, he picks disciples for this reason. This is what we read. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. Jesus did not want to be alone when it hurt, when it got hard. He wanted people to be with him. And so look at what he tells them. He tells them this, to those he needs most to be with him, he says this, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Pray, he says. Now stop and think about that. Uh, The disciples are not able to go all the way into the garden with Jesus. 
he ultimately separates himself from them. But he still believes they can be with him if they do what? Pray. I mean, Jesus, do you mean to tell me that I can be with someone just by praying for them? And his answer is yes. Like that's one of the mysteries of being a part of the kingdom of God, of being one of the children of God, is that we, by God's grace and power, are together when we're praying for each other, even if we're apart physically. Maybe you've seen those scenes from Italy where the coronavirus is ahead of us here, and over a thousand have lost their lives in Italy, and they're on a strict quarantine. Have you seen those scenes where, where folks in Italy will come out on their balconies and begin singing. And it's like that sound echoes through the city streets and suddenly others step out on their balconies and they begin to sing along until there's this like beautiful chorus echoing across the expanses. That's what happens when we pray. What we're told, what we're told in Revelation is that God takes our prayers and he fills his throne room with our prayers. He collects those prayers into bowls and that those bowls smell of this sweet incense, this sweet fragrance that God is smelling for all eternity. Inside those bowls are our prayers. So he takes my prayers here. He takes my brother's prayers there, my sister's prayers over there, and he binds them together. He mixes them together. And in a way, he's binding us together when we're praying, even as we're apart. Lindsay has this dear friend from college, uh, one of her best friends. She was in our wedding, one of our bridesmaids. And she married another one of our friends, this really awesome guy. And they've got these two beautiful little girls who are about the ages of, of my kids, young, young girls. Well, a couple of years ago, he got cancer and he has been fighting it for years. And there's been these ups and downs and Lindsay's tried to stay in contact with her friend, even though she's got like the weight of the world on her shoulders. A few weeks ago, we found out that the cancer was, was back, that it had progressed, that it was stage four, and things looked pretty rough. And I'll tell you, Lindsay wants to be with her friend so bad. And so you know what she's doing, don't you? She's praying constantly for her friend. And I'll tell you, church, you know, it's in a moment like this when we're separated from each other and it feels like we're distant, that it's tempting to check out. You know, it's in a moment like this when the world seems sick and people are scared, that, like you, that can just kind of wear you out. But I'll tell you, there's something you can do right now and it's pray. And by God's grace, and God's mercy, what he does when we pray is that he binds us together. And in response to our prayer, God makes mountains move. I'm telling you, church, I'm talking to you right now. There is something you can do for your neighbor you don't know. You know, there is something you can do for your brother and sister in another state who are watching this that you don't know. What you can do right now is you can get on your knees and pray for them and by God's power, You'll be with them. And let me talk to, to those who are watching right now who maybe aren't from the Highland Church. And if you are from Highland, what I want you to do is I want you to overhear 
I'm going to say to them. Let me talk to those who are not praying right now. Maybe you haven't prayed in a long time. Maybe that idea of prayer makes you uneasy. You don't know how you feel about the God who's supposedly on the other end of those prayers. You don't know what you feel about this guy named Jesus in this garden of Gethsemane. You're just not sure how you feel about that, and I get it. Maybe you grew up with the story of Jesus. You've kind of drifted from that. You've left church. Maybe you've never even heard this story before. There's something about this knowledge that there are people out there who are thinking about you and even praying about you, whether or not you believe in that God. There's something about that knowledge that there are people out there who care enough for you that they're doing that. It means something to you. And so you're here with us now. And maybe you don't know why you, why you chose to click play on this worship service. You don't know why you, you chose to tune in. And maybe right now you're thinking to yourself, well, there's those Jesus people, those, those Christians with their Jesus story, talking about that same old story we've heard before. Well, let me tell you right now, this is a story to pay attention to. This is not a story to sleep through. And this is the story from which every other story comes, even your story. This is the reason you were made. This is your life's purpose. This is what it is. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, this is not a story that God wants you to sleep through. To sleep through the story of Jesus is not the life that God has for you. A life where you just kind of go about the motions of your day-to-day life, going to work, going to school, picking up the kids with eyelids that are heavy the whole time. That is not the life that God wants for you. And God does not want a life for you that is hopeless or lonely or hollow. That is not the life God has for you. You know the life that God has for you? It's a life, like Paul tells us in Ephesians, that is filled with the hope to which he has called you. You know, the life that God has for you is a life that is filled with a glorious inheritance in the holy people of God. You know, what God has for you is the incomparably great power for those of us who believe. And this is what we read about that power. That power is the same power as the mighty strength that God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in this age, but in the age to come. You were made for Jesus Christ. That's why you exist. So, so wake up. Wake up. And I don't mean that to be rude or to be insensitive or to be judgmental. You know, in fact, I think about my mom years. I can think about my mom uh, coming to me every morning at my bed as I was sleeping to get me up for school. And she would nudge me. I didn't want to wake up just gently. And she would say, Eric, honey, Wake up. Wake up, honey. I want to gently nudge you to wake up. That in Jesus Christ, God has done something for you that can change your life. God has made a way 
when there seems to be no way as we sing. God has offered his son to reclaim, to take you back for himself. And I'll tell you that world, when you open your eyes is so sweet. In Isaiah, we read this about Jesus. We read that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we're healed. If you're listening right now, wherever you are, whether you're in Alaska or Canada or Tennessee or Oklahoma, Mississippi, here's what I want you to know. That in Jesus Christ, there's healing. In Jesus Christ, there is peace. Because beginning at Gethsemane and culminating on the cross, he was crushed for your and my iniquities. And and the punishment that you and I deserve was on him. And he took it upon us and he overcame by the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. And that power and that life is available to you. And if you don't know Jesus, I want to share him with you. I'd ask that you comment on our feed right now and let us know if you want us to reach out to you. Or you can private message the church and we'll follow up with you and let you know about Jesus. We believe that those who want to become part of this Jesus story should be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so if that's you, I want to talk to you about baptism this morning. And church, what I want to challenge you all to do now in your homes, in in your places where you're gathered with a few friends or with family, is to take the Lord's Supper together right now. You know, The truth is, it's not just the rest of the world that sometimes falls asleep to the good news of Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. Sometimes you and I fall asleep to that. Let me challenge you to pay attention right now, to dig into this story either with friends and family or by yourself and take communion together. We intentionally didn't make it part of the worship time, the worship live stream, so that it, it could extend as long as you'd like it to. Sit down with your Bible, sit down with each other, and dig into what Jesus has done for you as you take that bread and that cup. Let me pray for you as I dismiss you into communion and then to the rest of your days. God, we continue to pray, above all, that you would be glorified in this moment. God, we surrender ourselves to you. We surrender our anxieties and our fears to you. And God, we pray that you would enable us to stay awake to what you are doing in the world for your sake, for your name's sake. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. See ya.